Hey everyone, welcome to Trends and Things, where we bring you real chats on what's buzzing. It's our final penultimate episode of the potty, and this time we have our final guest on the show to talk all things media, advertising, that whole industry. It's been a topic that has come up quite a bit in our time doing the potty over the last few years, and I'm joined always by my co-host Scott. Scotty, welcome. It's our second last show second last in episode, the history yeah, of the potty yeah. um Oof. and look over the years i think you know probably i think in the last two years i'm gonna say specifically we've mm. uh, you know the world of social media online entertainment all, all this type of stuff communications advertising probably been spearheaded by our mate elon musk you know twitter formerly <laughs> or now known as x now known as x uh, yes, who the yeah. fuck is going to call it x no one <laughs> Um, so I'm waiting to see how long it takes for them to, to for people to catch on. Are you gonna are you gonna start mm. calling it X anytime soon, mate? No, look, I'm I'm holding out, but they're just gonna roll back on everything and just say, hey, look, we gave it a good run, but not you know not the greatest branding choice, not the greatest. You know, I think they've um, announced they're gonna remove the um, block feature as well. I'm like, oh god, everyone I've unblocked over the last po- couple of years are gonna just you know reappear out of the woodworks. Not really making me vibe the platform so much. So just like that decision, I hope they roll back the name as well. Because I don't know, Twitter feels like it's nice. It's kind of it's it's a palatable sort of thing. X feels like like are you are you edgy? It's like an edge lord sort of <laughs> <laughs> sort of name. Uh, so I'm hoping that it doesn't stick around. Yeah, look, absolutely. There's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the wider world. Of course, we had Facebook versus Google and, and the laws around mm-hmm. using content a couple of years ago. So it's really been a quite an interesting period. And, and you know, during COVID and lockdown, there was also an increased sort of, I guess, review of how people use media, social media, paying for, you know, whether you have access to certain channels and paying money mm-hmm. for it and how brands use it to interact and follow you and all this type of stuff. So, you know, it's with a great excitement for our last guest on the show. We welcome media expert and analyst Joe Golden. He's back. He's been on here plenty of times over the last couple of years. But Joe, it's good to have you, my man. It's good to be here. I um, Look, I think it's really great to have you because, like, as Gorza said, it's surprising as how um, intertwined, like, media and advertising is is with our lives because it's everything from, you know, brands kind of maybe potentially doing those like performative campaigns of like, oh, we support this. And then next minute they change their mind. Um, all, all these like celebrities and brands coming up just with like, I don't know, like wacky um, advertising takes. It seems like the industry has changed quite a bit and you've been around for a little while. So um, <laughs> maybe like my first question, like, you know, like long enough. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, it's really interesting to get your insight on the industry and I'd love to know, um, maybe like since you entered, how has advertising changed and um, maybe other particular things have stood out for you over the time that's like, wow, that's um, quite an interesting direction the industry has gone in. Yeah, there's a few There's a few things, obviously, in my long, long tenure, as you've mentioned, <laughs> in the advertising industry. Um, I guess the first thing for me, I think it's a really positive thing, is a probably a, a move towards mm. greater transparency, uh, particularly between agencies and clients. Um, for anyone who used to work in the industry uh, in the Stone Age when I started, uh, there was obviously a lot of uh, things that were not disclosed, whether it was, uh, you mm. know, especially when you're buying in the programmatic world, buying digital sort of ads, there was a lot of fees and stuff tacked on that clients just didn't know about. I think a lot of things have changed and I think that's ultimately really a really positive thing. I've also seen a lot of things become more and more digitized, um, whether it's radio, um, you know, going from mostly linear to Spotify mm. and a whole bunch of other things like, well, like your podcast. 
um, or whether it's even like out of home moving from mostly static panels to to digi panels. That's definitely been a big move. There's kind of two sides to that because everyone, the first thing is obviously it makes it more flexible to buy and place ads, which is great for people like me. Mm. But the one thing that a lot of people aren't talking about is it's actually made uh, the, the cost for reaching a thousand people a lot more expensive. Like if you're looking at radio, I think it's it, versus digital audio, it's it's probably more than 10x. And people wow. aren't really discussing yeah. that. Um, and so that sort of change is going to change the way that we're moving. But I think that is kind of in line with probably the third major change. And obviously a lot of these changes were underway before I joined the industry, but you can see these trends just rolling through. Is It's a real move from broadcast to kind of fragmentation, both in channels but also in audiences. So rather than people going and buying against people 18 to 54, they're now buying against specific subsets of audiences. And advertisers are actually happy to pay a bit more to to reach those specific audiences. Yeah. And look, before we get into the I guess the the metrics, the in and outs of advertising, because there's a lot to there's a lot to say in that space, Joe. Uh, as we both know, I guess currently sort of working in that in that field. But just want to go back and look at sort of pull back a bit the lens and, and look at the industry as a bit of a whole. And as I mentioned, it wasn't that long ago. We had Facebook and Google on the news for, you know, months on end, what felt like at least at, at the time, talking about their use of content and, you know, having to pay journalists or websites uh, like your news.coms or, you know, the Guardians and, and all your other fringe publishers um, to list their content on platforms like Facebook and like Google. Um that was obviously a big moment. We saw, of course, I think it was, you know, Facebook was it who, you know, weren't letting you even post links for a few days. It's mm. a bit of a protest. And, you know, Google were, you know, in and out of doing a whole bunch of things themselves. But they came to an agreement. They, they've struck a sort of deal with the publishers or during that time. But it, it sort of changed the way I think people saw media as a whole, right? Especially online media where people are creating news and articles and opinions. Um what what's your thoughts sort of looking back i guess on that and sort of you know what the future lies because you know there's still lots and lots of online publishers like your guardians and uh your news.coms like i mentioned who you know sometimes they put a paywall behind content sometimes they charge you sometimes it's for free uh, and there there are ads subsidizing that content what's your view on a lot of these sort of online publishers being someone who you know no doubt has worked with clients on using those platforms to reach people and and buying ads there What's the future lie for for sort of like content online? And do you think that that whole sort of Google, Facebook versus the the publishers really changed things, or do you reckon it was just a bit of a moment in time? I think it was the beginning of a much larger set of changes that are coming down the line. I think for years and years, I think governments either just didn't know about the space properly or weren't interested. And frankly, it meant publishers, agencies, everyone else was getting away with a hell of a lot. Um, there's two major changes that are come, very likely to come down the line that will have pretty major ramifications for the industry. So the first one is changes to the Privacy Act. Um, and in basic terms, um, what's going to be changed is it's going to make it harder to collect, store, and use data without people's explicit consent because people would be amazed by the, uh, the amount of data that's mm. being collected and the way it's being <laughs> aggregated, the way it's being used to target. And I think that goes back to my first point because I said the industry is moving towards hyper-targeting and fragmentation. These changes could completely unravel that because I guess the, the style of law we're looking at is going to be at least GDPR or a little bit stronger. So it's going to completely change all of that. The second thing, and it's, um, again, I think Google and Facebook are again in the crosshairs. Um, there's, there's, look, there's proposed changes to laws around anti-competitive behavior from some of the big players. And um, 
the prime example is Google. And for anyone who doesn't really know much about advertising, they, they, might, they might know Google's big. They don't know how big Google is in the advertising space. Mm-hmm. I mean, they own everything from the actual inventory itself. So a lot of the ads you see placed on websites are put there by Google and Google's making the money there. They also own the actual system that we use to buy the ads. They also own the system that we use to, uh, to check that the ads are played. And then they also own things like YouTube. So you can see there's a lot of opportunity for them if they're not being ethical to, to help favor themselves. And that's exactly what they've seen. So our kind of proposed law seems to be following changes that the US is, is kind of looking at. So the US DOJ has mm-hmm. actually launched a massive case against Google for monopolistic practices. Um, there's been evidence that they've been favoring their own inventory and or unnecessarily clipping the ticket. Of course, Google denies all of this, but it does seem pretty clear that that's happening. So those two changes are looking pretty likely. The government's released um, papers around it. They've kind of signaled their intentions to look into this area. So even if the changes I've explained don't happen exactly as I've talked about, there are big changes coming. I want to drill into that first part you mentioned around privacy. Um, I guess, you know, that whole um, super fragmented, um, I guess, like form of advertising because I still... And I'm not sure how much of this that, you know, I still get these, these conversations that I have with friends and family where, you know, sitting around the dinner table and like, oh, you know, the other day I was talking to so-and-so about, you know, needing a new lawnmower or maybe needing a new like smartwatch. And then the very next day or even later that day, I was served an ad for that exact same thing. I, I'm not really subscribed to the idea that our phones are <laughs> always listening to us and maybe that's how um, we serve these ads. But in terms of, I guess, maybe how we're, how people might not know how their private information is used, the way that people uh, serve these ads, is it is it as simple as um, their search, you know, you know, when they search on Facebook, those things are being tracked and then used to target them? Is it... Their, is it like the journal activity on the internet or like what's what are those key data points that advertisers are using to serve them that really, you know, and I, I understand it's like an industry secret sort of thing. So you obviously share as much as you can, but I, I, I got to admit, like it's, it's definitely not your device is always listening to you. There's not someone on the other end of your phone. Like, okay, cool. He wants a lawnmower. Let's, let's get him. Let's well, serve him that ad. Well, there's, there's something more to it. Well, you say the device isn't always listening to you. I think the interesting thing is like, I'll, I'll get it out of the way. I don't, I've never been told that it's explicitly listening to you through audio. Um, sure. But Facebook has kind of dodged the question when people have asked it behind closed doors with us. Um, mm. The truth is, and the reality is, this goes back to, I think, the point I was talking about before. You don't need to be listening with audio to actually be listening. Your phone is listening to you all the time. So, oh, that's, so, uh, so for instance, if you're, if that's you're, not a great answer for that. So if you're, if you're, if you're on Facebook and you're, and you're scrolling through things and you're looking at you know, mm. what you're looking at, what you're not looking at, all the things that you're doing there, that's then um, able to be tracked and tracked back against a device ID. So every phone that's out there has a unique device ID. Um, obviously, then you're doing things on other sites or you're doing things across the broader web. That's also connected mm-hmm. with that device ID. And at that point, this is goes back to, I guess, why changes in the privacy act are needed because that data can be aggregated and actually used to create a, a fuller picture. So they don't necessarily know, so Facebook probably does know, but they don't necessarily know mm-hmm. Scott seeing this device ID, but they're able to tell a lot of things about the person. Um, and then I guess the way that if, you, if you're aggregating that data, you can actually learn 
far more things about it by using and they've got machine learning so they can learn patterns of behavior and what those mean so in, mm-hmm. in for instance in the platform i can target people who are in market for uh you know a house how does it know that you're in market for a house so mm. like you know th- these sorts of things it's not listening to you in the old sense it's not some guy on the line you know like tapping the <laughs> phone like it would have been in the 60s but <laughs> the reality is they're actually getting far more information about you than they ever could have mm. by tapping your phone so i think there are changes needed to the way that we we talk about data privacy because people are giving their data away in ways they don't understand. And I do actually think, you know, while these changes to the Privacy Act are bad for me as a professional, I think they're great for the world and <laughs> and frankly I support them. Yeah. Let, let's uh, let's dig into that a bit because I think there's a there's, you know, you mentioned rightly so I think Jonah and I've seen the same thing from my own experience in in the media industry is that yes, there's so many people are actually just on their own accord, buying into stuff that they probably just don't know, right? You sign up for Facebook, you press the terms and conditions, tick, accepted. That mm-hmm. means there's so much, you know, rights and stuff that they have and you've given, you have given your word almost that you're happy for them to do that, right? You just tick the box, you go to the end of the T's and C's and you fucking go, cheers, mate, that's all good. Um, and you do that for every site, YouTube, TikTok, your emails, stuff like that. So people are, you know, these companies are collating like tons of info, right? But you've you've technically said yes by default, right? Like now, whether that's super ethical and what they're putting in those T's and C's is another question, like you said, Joe. But I think probably the other thing is quite, and it's quite interesting around the psychology of ads and media and stuff, right? Is that, Scotty, like you said, people get have this superstition that they, oh my God, they're, mm. they're listening to me talk about this new hocker running shoe that I've just mentioned and now getting an ad on my Instagram. Um, <laughs> but it's probably just the first time a lot of the time that you're seeing the ad, you're recognizing the ad. You've actually probably swiped across that ad five times before. Um, but now that you, it's fresh in the mind that, you know, psychology wise, you've just thought about it. There's all these studies that prove you're way more likely to actually recognize the ad now that you've talked about it or you've, mm. it's come up or something like that. So it's actually, I think, and I'd be keen to get your thoughts on it, Joe, but it's actually these brands are advertising to you constantly either way. You'll drive past five Hocker billboards or Nike billboards and you won't recognize anything, but then it comes up in conversation and then you see it and you go, oh my God, they're listening. Well, and it's actually like, so you probably, you've probably seen it 10,000 10, times before, just now you're <laughs> hyper aware and now you're recognizing and saying, oh my God, these guys are listening. Joe, what's your thoughts the, on that? And the core question is, why were you thinking about those Hocker shoes in the first place? Because I think the interesting thing is, and, this, and it's hard to prove out on an individual level, so I can't remember who said it, but someone said, you know, half of advertising works and half doesn't, but it's hard to tell which half does. Um, mm. But the whole point is, like, if you if you look at the aggregate data, let's just say you do econometric modeling on your advertising and you, you plot sales against your media spend, you can see direct correlative uplifts in, in sales as a result of advertising. Now, everyone will say, advertising doesn't work on me. And everyone <laughs> believes that implicitly, but... The data shows otherwise. Why and why would businesses mm. continue to invest millions and millions of dollars into media and marketing every year if it didn't have that effect? So I think it is an interesting point where I think it's partly you think that you've originated that thought about that shoe or that holiday. Um, where I think you know quite often you may have been targeted with three or four ads. You probably didn't consciously think about them, but it may have actually planted a seed and got you thinking about some of these things as well. So definitely an interesting sort of um, interesting point. And in terms of, all right, so we know advertising works. We know that um, brands will probably continually throw money into this. Um, and I guess as Gauz was saying that, 
maybe sometimes you don't recognize the ad. So you drive past a couple of billboards and then maybe start talking about the product. Then you realize you start seeing them. What about, so the way advertising works, do you think, so you kind of mentioned that there's, you know, there's kind of like broadcast mediums. So maybe like your out of home stuff, like those your billboards or bus stop um, stands or maybe just radio, things like that. I guess they're not super targeted in a way. Um, whereas now there's so much data that you can play with. You can really, um, as you were saying, you can target ads at, uh, for people who are looking for property. So do you think those more traditional forms of advertising still have a role in like as an advertiser, are they still as valuable as these kind of new data driven um, meetings you're using, or maybe they will change over time. Maybe we won't see as many billboards in the future, or maybe radio won't be so um, supported by advertising. I mean, I'll also have to defer to Gord's a little bit in, in this conversation as well, but I, I think <laughs> definitely I, look, no, actually, I think number one, I think mm. we're, getting, we're seeing more and more pressure on how you can use data, but Regardless of all of that, there's actually a, a really strong place for broadcast messaging and broadcast approaches to right. comms as a part of the overall mix. I won't bore you guys and go into the, the nuts and bolts <laughs> of how you plan out media, but there's there's sure. definitely a role um, and you can see the sales uplift from things like billboards. It's not even just for a billboard. It's not even just the, the message itself. There's actually a, a proven correlative effect in terms of how premium your brand feels to consumers by appearing in expensive mediums like billboards. Most people don't know what a billboard would cost, but they know it's expensive. And so when they yeah. see a, a, a brand or a business on a billboard, they know that business is not likely to be out of business shortly. So, for, you know, for clients that need to build trust with their audiences or need to convey premiumness, they do it. I mean, that's why Apple spends millions and millions a year on on big advertising. There's there's one on the way into the, the city that they always have. I don't know if everyone's probably seen it. Um, it's a reason why they have those. Mm. Um, so I, I think there's never really going to be a point where those uh, completely go, but things are changing in how people buy them. I think I mentioned most out of home is going digital, meaning that um, there's more flexibility in you know changing the message uh, day by day or even you know hour by hour. Um, you know, and that, and that sort of dynamic elements coming into a lot of those traditionally uh, static placements. So I mm-hmm. think we'll see more of that, and probably not so much uh, complete removal. Print, though, on the other hand, I do think. It's, mm. it's on a long, slow decline, but I think it again, it's just about people are still reading as much news as ever. It's just about where they're mm. reading it. So it's, yeah. I think overall, it'll be you know much of a muchness. Yeah, I think it'll probably see print, print and TV are the ones that are that feel like they're on the way out. Like Joe said, very slowly, but just you know, given audiences and stuff, right when people who are like 15 to 20 years old now are, you know, in their 60s and 70s, they, they will be still watching Netflixes and listening to Spotify and, and stuff like that, the things they grew up with, right? Whilst people who are, you know, boomers and stuff like that and older plus six, 60 plus year old people are sort of going, oh, okay, cool. Like I grew up with TV, I grew up with magazines and newspapers. So it's still relevant for me as I get, as I'm in my sort of like approaching retirement ages and stuff like that. Mm. So I think they'll be relevant until sort of, you know, that, that, uh, generation starts to move on um, and then you'll probably start to see a lot of your more traditional things like social media which is probably actually something I'd, I'd be keen to, to for us to chat about um, you know start to rise right and maybe Joe I'd be keen to get, get your thoughts on this because social media in the last few years 
like we've alluded to, Twitter, form, you know, now known as X, Facebook, TikTok. <laughs> TikTok's going a whole, through a whole thing in the US at the moment with pri- their own privacy uh, challenges and stuff with the app. Um, YouTube. They, if you think about all of those platforms, right? Twitter now now also has. I'm just going to call it Twitter. Fuck, I'm not calling it X. Uh, <laughs> Twitter has their own Twitter Blue or whatever it is. Like you know, a paid subscription monthly service. We've seen you know streaming services like Netflix introduce free services with ads in addition to their paid monthly services. We're seeing a lot of these sort of you know social media and streaming and and modern day brands introduce either a paid version or a free version that has ads, um, which is interesting, right? People remember when Netflix did it and people got their shits. They were like, what the fuck is this about? You you got to pay six bucks a month uh, or, or, or get it for what, your cheaper price and you get ads. Why? That defeats the purpose, blah, blah, blah. And I'm really fascinated by, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and stuff like that starting to bring in their own paid models. Twitter, I think, is really interesting because they're starting to take away features from the free users um, and say, hey, mm. you got to pay your, your six to whatever it is dollars per month to get Twitter blue. So do you think that's something that's only going to continue to happen and potentially might challenge the way people use social media? Because I'm, you know, for years, we've just seen it as a free tool. It's good to use. All our mates are on it. We can get all our news and, and updates off the world from there. But if I had to pay for it, I probably wouldn't use it. What do you think about how the trend of that industry? Well- the whole thing is it's a bit of a truism, but it, it is for a reason that, uh, you know, if, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And that's the reality. Like we've all been paying for Facebook and everything else we've been using for years, um, but just paying for it with our data. Like advertising absolutely mm. fuels these businesses. And what fuels the advertising is the, the rich data that we're able to, to you know, use the target mm. and, and attribute when people are actually making a purchase off the back of our ads. Um, I think Twitter is... And I'm going to call it Twitter too. I, I can't get used to X. I, th- I, I think that they seem to be flying, you know, almost without a map. Like the whole, the, like the reality is the company's in trouble. Their advertising revenue's gone down. I think it was close to 50% year over year. Like it's completely mm. nosedive. I think, you know, taking away features, like limiting impressions. You know, can, you, can you imagine as someone who buys inventory or who wants to sell inventory? Limiting impressions that people can actually use on Twitter. I mean, that is counterintuitive to the entire business model of Twitter. Mm. It's indicative that they're they're having issues with that. I think when it comes to Meta, I don't think so. Not not for the moment. I think they're they're very much they've. I mean, they've built like the the biggest user base in the world. They've built really powerful algorithms. Their whole their whole business model is built around advertising. And mm. the last thing that something like Facebook wants to do is drive users away who by making them have to pay because right now, I mean, I think it's 18 million Australians are on Facebook. It's the single biggest yeah. social media platform by wow. a significant yeah. margin. Um, but if you ask most of those Australians to pay for it, I reckon a whole heap of them would just walk away. It, mm. it would, it would, it would be counterintuitive to what Meta wants to do. So I think no doubt there will be some, and I think particularly in that content space, I think as you mentioned, so you've got your, your Netflix binge has done a similar thing. You've got mm. uh, Disney Plus doing the same thing. A lot of those SVOD sort of uh, what we call SVOD subscription video on demand um, channels are yep. really, they are going down that direction, frankly, because content's expensive. Like these, these, these companies are spending an absolute fortune on producing high-quality content to get those uh, users in, to get the advertising dollars in. Um, where Facebook, and this kind of goes back to the original point that I think the government was trying to make, Facebook just creates a platform 
other people upload content there and they just make an absolute <laughs> fortune. So it's a whole different business model with different pressures. So I think we will see probably some, you know, in, in the, some of those content spaces, a lot more of that. I'd be surprised that we saw it in social media. We've spoken quite a lot um, about advertising media and I think um, it's been quite enlightening, enlightening to hear how um, there'll be some, you know, proposed changes to how um, privacy is handled, um, how um, governments or the market will hand it, handle anti-competitive behaviour. We've talked about a lot how the industry changes and, and maybe as like a wrap-up uh, question, Joe, I'm wondering if um, if there's any, I guess, proposed change or something that you'd like to change with the industry that maybe isn't happening yet. So uh, other than, you know, maybe your job being easier and clients paying <laughs> double the amount of money <laughs> for uh, for your work, but, you know, I guess... Um, being so ingrained and, and informed in the industry, is there something you'd like to see change over the next couple of years that maybe isn't happening just yet? I think I'm broadly supportive of the changes that are coming through, I think, mm. particularly with the privacy points. I think it goes back to what Gords was saying before. Uh, you know, a lot of people were providing consent in the sense that they were not reading the terms and conditions, clicking, okay, let's, I want to use this, this bloody app and then, and then using it. The changes to privacy laws will explicitly make it so uh, it's explicit consent. It's like mm-hmm. essentially the person has to actively know that they're giving consent. So you can't bury it in 10 layers of terms and conditions and then say that's enough. And I think that's key because I think the, the the key thing for me since I've been advertising is this, how little everyone else knows about how the industry works. <laughs> and 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 then the I suppose the, the, the build on that is just the, the gravity of that. It's like we, we're using levels of data that people wouldn't believe. We're spending millions and millions of dollars trying to influence people's uh, behavior. And, and for most people, they just don't give it a second thought. So I think I think having a, a broader national conversation around what you know data privacy should look like and even more ethical ways to use data. Because I think for me, I would love to see a move that rewarded consumers more for sharing their data. So rather than just saying, all right, well, you don't know you're sharing your data, we use it and and Facebook gets all the money for it. You know, models that, you know, provide a little bit more, you know, opt-in and then users actually get to get a little bit back for it. So the new mm. social platform that was launched this year, I think it's only still at about 50,000 users. It's called We Are 8. And part of what they do, I mean, they're, they're, their big focus is on positive, I guess, content as well. So they're really trying to uh, do it from, from that side. But the other thing they're doing is they actually, users opt-in to watch ads and they actually get, uh, a percentage back for watching it, which they can either keep for themselves or give to charity. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, you know, you see a few different small outfits doing stuff like that. I think that would it'd be really exciting if if the industry's response to the privacy changes wasn't just to go we'll throw up our hands. We're going to try and find a way around it, or we're just going to completely leave data. Go. All right. There might be an ethical way we can use data that actually rewards consumers for giving it to us and, and actually allows them to have a positive experience with that. So that's kind of I, I I like seeing stuff like that, and I hope more of that comes through. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's there's so much really right that you could go into from you know this little can of worms that is the wider media industry. Um, but, but we might have to leave it there, Joe. It's obviously fantastic having you on a few times now. This is at least your third appearance, I want to say, on the on the potty. One was what buried in the heart of maybe when the when the Facebook stuff was happening during COVID or lockdown. Mm. Uh, we've had you on, I think, on your on a separate episode as well. So look, mate, great to have you on. Third time's a charm. Um, and look, <laughs> mate, all the best in in the career and 
and with everything going on in, in media in the future, mate. I appreciate it, mate. And thanks for having me again. Thank you so much. Look, Take that's care. our last episode, Scotty, with uh, the guests to wrap up uh, Trends and Things. So, big thank you again to Joe, uh, to Dominique, and to Antonia for joining us in our last few episodes. Scotty, we got one more final episode coming up. Uh, just me we and do. you to wrap yes. things up, chatting all things about the future of Trends and Things. So, look, excited to do one more episode before we pull the plug. Uh, thank you for all your questions that you've submitted. We're going to answer a few of those as well, um, plus do us some final reflections, uh, Scotty, uh, on all things potty. So, Um, Look, we look forward to having you for that final episode, but thank you so much for listening and tuning in this week. We'll see you for the last one very soon. See you, everyone.